Well, good morning. What a pleasure it is to worship. One of the songs we just sang, it, it talked about Jesus Christ being our joy in salvation. And it just reminded me that many times we can forget that the joy we have is Jesus Christ in us now. It's not a future joy that we look to of, I'm promised eternity in heaven one day or that I get to be with God. It's, I have a joy now in my relationship with the Lord today I've already received this gift of salvation, this gift of joy, and I have Jesus Christ living within me. And so just what a reminder it is this morning as we come that we have the joy of our salvation. It's not a coming joy, it is a present joy in the Lord. And so what a privilege it is to worship God together and be reminded of these truths as we sing. We're in James chapter 3 this morning, so open your Bibles to James chapter 3. Throughout the book of James... He reminds us of the dangers of our tongue, the dangers of our words. In fact, in every chapter in the book of James, he reminds us this danger. He talks about our tongue, how we use our words, what we say, what we don't say. In fact, this morning in James 3 is his longest discord that he shares, the lengthiest portion of his letter, talking about the dangers of of the tongue. And as we start in chapter 3, verse 1, we see a pattern here, and it's, an, it's called an ABA pattern in Scripture. And this is where there's something emphasized, and then there's a solution given, and it's emphasized again. And so what we see in verses 1 through 12 is the danger of the tongue, and then verses 13 through 18, we see the solution given, and then again, in chapter 4, we're going to see the dangers of the tongue. He re-emphasizes the same thing, danger, solution, and then danger. As I was preparing this week, looking at the tongue and the way we use our words, if you have ever had children or worked with children, it's quite surprising the amount of information that children, teenagers even, will share about a situation. They don't really have a filter yet, and so they share things that might not should be shared. They also share things that you would think that they wouldn't share. Not only do they tattle on others, they tattle on themselves. Not only do they tattle on themselves, sometimes they tattle on intentions and actions they have not yet even done. Well, Scripture teaches often our tongue tattles on us as well. Your tongue tattles on you. We might think we're clever or crafty about it. We, we might think we're covert or sneaky with our use of words, but Scripture says that the tongue, what we say and how we say it, really reveals the intentions of our heart greater than a lot of times our actions may do. It can be a real temperature gauge. So as we look at this, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we pray for today as we're coming to your word. God, we pray that our words may be changed in a way that glorifies you. Over and over and over again in scripture, we see the dangers of the tongue and how we use our words and how it is one of the single greatest ways how we sin against you so often. We don't often look at the tongue as a member of the body that commits the most sin. We, we might look at someone's hands or their fist as something that does these great sins. Or, but God, Scripture teaches that our tongue is really an instrument that we often use against others and against you. And so I pray that you may uh, 
bring about conviction this morning, bring about change of heart and mind. Uh, Help us to be cognizant of how we use our words. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Beginning in verse 1 in chapter 3, he shares with us, he shares within the church, uh, given a new perspective about what it means to be a teacher in the church. Verse 1, it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. He goes on that many in the church, and this is what we see from this text, it seems we're thinking that this position really gave them esteem and power and honor and that this would be a stepping stone, so they wanted to get in this position. When I was in college, I often encountered people, and I I know that they were called to ministry and, and they loved the Lord, but they would often begin in one ministry with hopes of using it as a stepping stone to another ministry, to another ministry, to one day reach the top, which is to be the biggest teacher, the preacher in the church. This is not what it should look like. This should not be a stepping stone, and we don't enter into teaching lightly. Uh, That's one of the interesting things about Pastor Terry and myself is this was the last thing either one of us ever wanted to do. For those of you who know our story, uh, God took us from what we didn't want to do and what we were content in and took us into this role, and so we've been in that for the past couple of years and have grown to love it Um, and just pursue the study of God's word. It is a responsibility that we don't take lightly, but it is a joy. It's one of those things you work in, but you find joy in. He goes on and says, why not many should become teachers? In verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. He includes himself. He says, listen, I'm a teacher, but I stumble in many ways, and we're going to be held accountable for that. Well, why is it that a teacher stumbles in many ways? Well, the main instrument that a teacher has to use is his tongue. The tongue that is crafty, that's deceitful, that later we're going to see is, can be full of poison. It's one of the most hardest members of our body to control, yet now we're called to teach and honor God with it, so we'll be held accountable for that. I mentioned how our tongue tattles on ourselves. I have an illustration for this. A few months back, I was standing at line in a store, And in front of me was a man in ministry. This was actually a pastor in front of me. I knew who he was. He either didn't know I was behind him or he didn't know who I was. But I was standing there listening. Now, by this man's appearance, by this man's title, many look up to him and esteem him. I had doubts about this man because of some of his theology that I had heard, that I had listened to. So I had already had some doubts. So I was listening in just to see how he responded outside of his typical church setting up on stage. He thought it was maybe just him and the person behind the cast register, a younger man. But I was watching and I was listening. I witnessed this man use his words harshly with the man behind the cast register. He used his words forcefully and bullied himself into getting a promotional offer that he should not have received just to save a couple dollars. I wish at the time that, that I had been able to clearly think through and just kind of put my hand on him and just say, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I didn't. I wish I would have. But in regards to this, I saw what was transpiring. His, his tongue was tattling on him for those who would hear it. And for those who knew what this man's position was, 
yet how he was responding and using his words were completely contradictory. This is what James is teaching. His tongue tattled on him just like it does us. We say things. Out of the abundance of our heart, the mouth speaks. Here at the family church, we know that as the preaching goes, so does the church. This is why in our bulletin this morning, we have what to expect today. Worship Christ in singing. We talk about what that's done and how we do that. But we have worship Christ in the preaching of God's word. We are unashamed of God's word, so we preach it boldly, clearly, and unwaverly. The preaching of Scripture is an opportunity to be refueled, refined, and revived by the power of the Holy Spirit. The proclamation of God's Word fills us with God's truth so we can live them out. We understand that there's no such thing as a healthy church unless there's healthy preaching. You can't have a strong Christ-centered church if there's not strong Christ-centered preaching. And it's using our words, it's using our tongue. And so we understand that. We take great responsibility in the preaching of God's word. Terry and I's responsibility or any teacher's responsibility or preacher or pastor in the church's responsibility is really two things. It's to afflict those of you in the congregation who are comfortable, afflict the comfortable, and comfort the afflicted. And that's what the word of God does, right? When you have pride in your life and you've esteemed yourself, Scripture says and God says He's going to bring you low. Yet if you're broken and you're on your knees before the Lord, it says He will lift you up. And that's what Scripture does to us. It exalts those who are humble and broken and those who are pride or need to be prodded or moved or convicted. It, it does that in your life. And so we just focus on the Scriptures. We teach the Scriptures. This is why we understand the dangers of the tongue. So as preaching goes, this is why we spend between 25 and 40 hours a week working on the sermon. I know many of you think that we just came up with this Sunday morning because pastors only work Sundays, right? Or at most, Saturday night. Call it a Saturday night special where you don't have anything ready so you're working on this. No, we understand to get up here and to speak that you can misspeak often. So we often write our sermons out word for word. Because we want to make sure that we've spent time in prayer what we say and how we say it. And that's the same for all of us. If we're going to talk with someone, we're going to counsel someone, we're going to teach someone, we're going to go out for coffee and we're going to address an issue, we need to know what we say, how to say it the right way. We're going to look at that here in a little bit. So don't let the tongue's small size fool you. I mentioned earlier about my children and how they often disclose information. and It's all done with their tongue. We can see what's transpiring in their hearts by what they say, even by what they don't say. We see this in Genesis. After the very first sin, the first couple of sins, after the first sin, we're, we're all done using the tongue. As we turn back to Genesis 3, I want you to answer a question here. How many of you have ever spoken back to your parents, and as soon as you did it, as soon as the words out of your mouth hit your ears, right, you realized that was a bad idea. Go ahead and raise your hand. You say something and you're like, you just heard what you said and you're like, what did I, I just say? And, and you look at your parents and you know you crossed the line big time, right? Well, this is what we see in Genesis 3. Imagine Adam and Eve, no sin nature, perfect. Every time they spoke, they spoke loving, 
honoring, uplifting, encouraging, never a harsh word. They always honored God with their language, with their words. They spoke well of one another. They lived in perfect unity, perfect submission, perfect submission to one another. I mean, they lived everything out, and their words did that as well. It was never jealous, never destructive, never harsh language. And then we come to Genesis 3. After they've eaten of the forbidden fruit, right? It says, have you eaten, God says, from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And this is his first words after sinning to the Lord. The woman you put here with me, she gave it to me. Do you see how sin affected his tongue, his words? How his heart was immediately changed from eating that to now the way he speaks to the Lord and the way he speaks about his wife, the gift God gave him, is immediately self-focused. He's preserving himself. He's pointing at others. And it's using his tongue. Now, of course, God knew. He was asking this question. It was obvious to what he had done by the way he was speaking. James chapter 3, verse 6 says, The tongue is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Do you see how Adam's tongue immediately tattled on if he had really ate or not? The way he responded immediately did this. This would be like the parent asking the child who ate the cake when you went into another room and there's a birthday cake and you come back and you look at your children, and one of them has cake all over his face, cake on his clothes, cake in his hair, cake in his ears, right? And you ask, who ate this cake? You know who ate the cake. It's all over him. And yes, somehow my children get cake in their ears when they eat it, just like many other things, but it's clearly obvious by what they look like. That's the same way with the tongue. We tattle on ourselves the tongue really clears up and shares what's going on in our heart, just like it did Adam. Before we get to be too hard on Adam and Eve with their words, we need to realize James says we do this too. James continues and shares a common way how you and I dishonor the Lord and sin against the Lord with our tongue. Verse 9, it says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings who've been made in God's image. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. This morning, we've sang worship songs to the Lord. We've spoke scriptures out loud. We've prayed. We've used our tongues in God-glorifying ways. And we've used our language in God-glorifying ways. And scripture says, we leave this place and we use the same tongue, the same words... And then we go and we cut others down. Or we speak harshly to our spouse. Or we belittle someone else for our own gain. Or we misspeak to someone who's an authority over us. We treat our spouse wrongly and we use our words. And it says it should not be so because we've been made in the image of God. Even everyone, everyone who's a human has been made in the image of God. Believer, unbeliever. So it says it should not be so that we use our words to praise God the Father, yet those who have been made in His image, we use our words to cut down, to destroy, to belittle.
I think we've all seen this done in the church, have we not? This James is written to those of us in the church. This is not just for those outside of the church. This is actually, he says, this is what's happening in the church. And he says, you come in to the service. And we do this. We lift God up with our words and then we leave this place. I've been in full-time pastoral ministry now for over 10 years and I've seen enough damage done by the tongue of those who say things and also those who don't. Unfortunately, one doesn't need to be in full-time ministry or even in the church that long to see the destruction caused by one's tongue. As I was working through this portion of the sermon, I was instantly reminded of a video that I was tagged on Facebook by another pastor friend of mine, and he sent this video, and if you've ever been in church for very long or in any type of ministry position, I think you've seen the effects, but as a pastor, we're called to shepherd the flock. And sometimes that's very difficult to do, but God still calls us to be faithful in it. So I have a short video that I think we'll all probably find a little bit funny because it's true, but let's take a look. Now, everyone in ministry has had that happen to them. Maybe you've had it happen in the church, right? Innocent sheep, lambs, little baby sheeps, and you're called to take care of them. You're called to give your life for them. And then this happens, right? Those who you're trying to feed and protect and care for use words, and it looks something like that. And so we laugh, but it's true, that this happens so often in the church. And James is teaching it should not. It should not be happening in this church. It should not be happening in any church. This is why God instructs us that we're called to submit to one another and that we consider others better than ourselves. But many times after we've been in church a while, we begin to think that we're better. We automatically have that tendency. The same with our spouse, right? When we begin dating, we honor them and we look up to them. And after a while of dating, you know, that goes away a little bit. But then later you get married, right? And after you're very familiar with one another, you begin to speak to one another in a different way. Well, what has happened? Well, the same thing that happens in all of our relationships, right? You join a church, the same thing happens, and you begin speaking. And the more you become familiar with things, the more loose we become in our words. This is why Scripture goes all the time and says, submit to one another. Hebrews 13 talks about submitting to those in authority over your life, talking about those as pastors in your life that are trying to care for you, care for your soul, so we should not be in the context of a church undermining each other, undermining leadership, undermining our spouse, or our children undermining us. We have to be using our words in God-glorifying ways. But often, the more we become familiar with something, the more easily our words are used in a destructive manner. It happens in our workplace. You first begin and you say, yes, sir, and yes, ma'am, and you begin in such a way using your words, and after time, that kind of degrades. As the body of Christ, 
you and I are all called to use our words to honor the Lord. To use our words to honor the Lord. We should protect one another with our words. There should not be inward fighting. There should not be murmurs. And if a murmur or a rumor or gossip comes to you, you should cut it off. You should address it. In your bulletins this morning, you have a handout that addresses gossip. How many of you have ever experienced gossip in the church? Raise your hand. How many of you have never experienced gossip in the church? Raise your hand. All right. One, and it was a young child, okay? (laughs) So we're doing pretty good, as in everybody's being honest. Not doing pretty good in regards to what Scripture calls us to do, right? But it does say that there will be murmurs and people coming and backbiting and it says we should have unity in the church because this is something we really need to work with so how can i deal with gossip and others well this goes through how you can address gossip sometimes you don't even realize it's gossip until the conversation is ended and you're somewhere else and you realize wait a second why did they tell me that what was that for well this goes through Steps of how you can address it in the midst of it if you understand it or afterwards. And these are just five steps. I encourage you to keep this. Put it in your Bible. Reference it. But we need all to be on guard because we need to be uplifting and using our words to love one another. Scripture says our tongue is like a fire. But many times we don't consider that. You know, professional boxers, they're very careful so as not to get in a fight outside of the ring. Does anyone know why? Because if they do and they go to court, they can be charged with potential murder because they've been trained to an extent and their, their weapons are their hands much more than maybe yours and I's. And so they're very careful because they understand it would be like one of us pulling a gun or a knife on somebody if they approach somebody and begin to go after them with their fist. That's what they've been trained to do. They, they understand that to go in that direction is a life or death situation. They understand the destruction that their fist can cause. But you and I don't treat our tongue that way. But scripture says we should. We should understand that what we have inside of our mouth to be able to use and pronounce words is just that deadly. And we need to be aware of when we speak. Are we speaking words that are going to give life and encourage and uplift and honor the Lord? This is why it says be quick to listen, slow to speak. Slow to speak the word of God. The tongue is a fire, a world of evil set on fire by hell itself. That's a perspective we need to have about our tongue. I want to briefly cover three ways how our tongue and our words can be used and often is used by Satan within the church. Number one, we sin when we speak in support of the wrong things. Our tongues can be used by Satan when we encourage someone, support someone, justify someone in their sin. We say things like, well, if that would have happened to me, I probably would have done the same thing. That's not helping them. Or we say, I think God would be okay with that. Or, well, listen, I'm your friend. I'm not going to judge you. So if you feel like that's what you need to do, I support you in your decision. How many times we've seen that? Listen, I'm your friend. I'm not going to judge you. I support you in what you feel you need to do. Inwardly, you're thinking that's wrong, that's unbiblical, it's going to destroy your life, but I'm just going to let you go. 
unloving action when we do that. So we sin when we speak in support of the wrong things. Secondly, we sin when we withhold speaking the right things. So the first one is you're kind of encouraging them. You're justifying it. The second one is that you're just not sharing. You're just being neutral. You're being silent. Now understand this is first and foremost in the church. We don't need to go around to those outside of the church, unbelievers, and say that they need to now live up to the biblical standards. That's not how people become Christians. But we can use our tongue for Satan's purpose by remaining silent in our discussion with someone. For instance, let's say there's someone in your life and you know what they're doing is sinful and they're a Christian. They're proclaiming to be a Christian, but what they're doing is sinful. It's wrong. You know, it's dangerous, unwise, destructive. Well, what do you say to someone? What do you say to someone? Let's say you have a a Christian friend who's living with someone else who's not their spouse. Okay? I think we've all had this example in our life. We know of a family member or a friend, and they're self-proclaiming to be a Christian, but they're living with someone who's not their spouse. What What do you say to them? Do you withhold truth from them? Do you justify their actions? Well, here's some things in a loving conversation, a deliberate conversation you can share with them. But here's a passage of Scripture that they need to hear. 1 Corinthians 6.13 The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Jesus Christ? Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. That's a scripture that this person who's your friend needs to hear. So we can't withhold truth from this person. If we do, and they're a believer and you're a believer, you're in sin. Not only are they in sin, you're in sin as well. Recently, I'd say recently, maybe a couple of months or even years, I'm bad with time, Um, there was a situation at our house, and and this was some family coming to our house, and uh, they're not professing believers, but there's even at times where we need to share the truth to those who are not believers. So, for instance, we had an older older family member who was going to come, and they were, at the time, living with their boyfriend, girlfriend outside. They were going to come down to Marco and visit us. So they were going to stay in our house. And they're living together where they're coming from. So I don't need to act like they have to act Christian. That's not what saves somebody. But also, when they are entering, this would be an illustration example where I don't want to offend them for no reason. I don't want to lose my testimony with them. But understand that if I allow that to transpire in my house, I am losing my testimony with them. Just because of the situation, because of the circumstance. I mean, they might even come down knowing that I'm going to talk with them that they can't stay in the same room together. They know I'm a Christian. They know I'm a pastor. But it shouldn't matter if I'm a pastor. It should just be if if we're a Christian. They should know we're probably going to have that discussion. And if you don't have the discussion because you're worried about offending them, they might come down maybe later that night after you haven't talked with them about it. They might say, I thought for sure they were going to talk with us about this. Maybe it's not a big deal for them. Sometimes that may happen. When we act like we don't want to offend somebody, they're probably ready 
for us to talk with them about it because they know what we stand for. So we can't miss out or lose our testimony because we're afraid of sharing something. That's one way how the Lord uses this, or how Satan, sorry, uses this. Here's another example. You have a Christian friend that's neglecting church. The Lord is not a priority in their life. They don't go to church. They're not walking together with a body of believers. Scripture is very clear about the issues going on, about what sins they're involved in. But we don't want to be that person in their life, right? Asking about this sensitive subject, prying, prodding. We don't want them to get offended. It might hurt our relationship. Or we say, listen, talking with them about it, I I just would rather not get involved. I, I, I don't want to be involved in this. They're my friend, but I'll just leave that to somebody else. Or it might affect my testimony with them. I might lose this relationship I have with them. I just want to encourage you that if you're doing that and you don't speak truth into their life, you're already losing testimony with them. You're a friend who loves the Lord, who is saying you honor God's word, but when you meet with them over lunch or when you see them and you never talk about biblical things, when you know they're living in an unbiblical way, what does that say about you? What does it say about you? What is this friend thinking about you? What is the Lord thinking about you? Are we hypocritical? So this is, we sin when we speak in support of the wrong things. We sin when we withhold speaking the right things. But third, we sin when we speak the right things in the wrong way. We've all seen this. We're getting closer to where we need to be. We're not yet there. So not only does Scripture say we can't, we can't support somebody in their sin, not only does Scripture say that we can't withhold speaking the right things, it says when we speak the right things, we have to do it in the right manner. Now we've all seen, how many of you have seen the right things trying to be said, but it was done in the wrong way, the message got lost in the translation? Raise your hand. We've all seen this, right? And because we've all seen this and we're scared to death of this, what happens is I don't want my message to be lost in communication, so what do we do? We don't do it at all. We're afraid that what I'm going to say is going to be perceived out of the wrong intent, so why do it anyways? Well, you know what Scripture says? It doesn't give us that option to get out of here. It says you have to say it, and you have to say it in the right way. So we can't take the excuse of that I really want to say it, but I'm afraid that it's going to come across wrong, so therefore I'm excused of my responsibility. Scripture never gives us that excuse. There's verses that go through and teach how we must do this. Ephesians 4.15 Rather speaking the truth, right? There it is. In love, both truth and love, we can say it's loving because it is the truth. We are to grow up in every way to him who's head in Christ. 2 Timothy 2.24 This is talking about those who are against you. Listen how it says we need to treat them. And the Lord's servant, that's us, must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. It says even our enemies who are doing evil against us, we're to be patient with them and humble to them in regards to sharing them the truth. How much more so should we be to those who are our friends claiming to be a believer, yet they're in sin. And in verse 25, it says, correcting them 
even when they're opponents in a spirit of gentleness. So we can't be silent. We have to speak the right things, but we have to speak the right things the right way. I want to end by working through a passage of Scripture that goes through and emphasizes all these points we've seen this morning. I hope we see that ignoring someone's sin, being silent about someone else's sin, when they're a professing believer, is one of the most unloving things you can do. Not only are you now in sin, you're allowing them to continue in sin, and you're not being faithful to the Lord, and your testimony is being destroyed by your silence. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, addresses all of this. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. I want to walk through this verse word by word. Brothers. Who's brothers in the scripture? Those within the church. You and I. So this is addressed to us. Church family, Family Church, Marco Island, if anyone, that includes everybody, right? If anyone, no distinction, anyone in church, especially your friends, right? But it says, if anyone, even those you don't have a good relationship with, anyone is caught. So whether this is by choice, by accident, Scripture says they're caught, they need help getting out of this. They need someone like you to help them get out of this. They're caught in something. If they're caught in any transgression, well, that pretty much covers every transgression, doesn't it? Any transgression, gossip, adultery, lying, deception, lack of church or fellowship attendance, not leading their families, pornography, a substance abuse, submission to authority, whatever it is, any transgression, you, Christian, you, it says you who are spiritual, the only thing you need, the only criteria it says you need to have is to be spiritual. What does it mean to be spiritual? To be a Christian. That's it. So we can't excuse ourselves. And they don't have to be your best friend. It says anyone in the church who's professing to be a Christian, struggling with anything, you, Christian, you're spiritual because you have the Holy Spirit living in you, should, now we have a command, should, it's not a good idea or a suggestion, it says you should do this, restore them in a spirit of gentleness. To restore means also to correct or confront because you can't take them from something to somebody else until you correct the issue. Restore them in what? The right way, a spirit of gentleness. It might be taking them out and say, listen, I know this is going on in your life and you know what scripture says about it and I know what scripture says about it but I'm, I'm, I'm fearful of what you're, what's going through. Listen, I love you but you can't continue to do this. You know it's wrong with the Lord. I mean, you need to be thinking and praying through how we do it but it has to be done. And here's the warning. Here's the warning for us. It doesn't just end it there. It says here's the warning. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. You might be tempted in the same sin, but that's probably not it because if you're aware of their sin and you're concerned about it, you're probably not going to go jump into their sin. You might be tempted with the sin of what? Being silent. 
So you have a friend, you know they're going through something. Here's how your temptation is going to come about. Well, I don't want to be too judgmental. I don't want to lose my relationship with them. And you will be tempted by your lack of communicating the truth of God to them. And when we decide to do that, we're not honoring God, and now we're in sin. This is, one of the, this is why it says, keep watch on yourself. But when you see a brother or sister who's stumbling in sin, that we can't idly sit by. This is why church discipline is so important in the scriptures that it continues to go about. And so when we've been given the responsibility and we see a brother or sister who's struggling in sin, whether it's by their choice or not, we all are commanded by God to be faithful to go. What if when one person was struggling in sin, that they had brother after brother after brother after brother after brother in the church to go to them and talk with them? One of two things is going to happen, right? They're either going to come in repentance to the Lord because they have 30 men in the church knocking on their door, texting them and calling them, and they realize they're in sin. But what we have instead is we have one pastor in most churches. There's one pastor who's calling, and he thinks it's one guy who sees this issue instead of the whole church. But it should be all of us because we're all in this together. Keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted as well. We can't make excuses. Scripture doesn't give us an out. We can't be in fear that maybe what we're trying to share won't be received the right way. Scripture never gives us that option. It says we have to say the right thing and we have to do it the right way. As we close here, I I want to, maybe you're here this morning and you realize there's some things you've said secretly, publicly, slanderously gossiped about somebody else. Maybe the Lord's brought this to your heart where there's a relationship that's not right. Maybe this other person doesn't even know that it's not right, but you know your heart towards them is not right. I just want to encourage you to make it right. Make a commitment this morning that you're going to make that right. Go and ask them for forgiveness. Share with them. Confess them. Scripture says confess our sins to one another. Maybe there's someone who you know who is in sin and you have not gone and done what you need to do. Make a commitment this morning to the Lord. If you've been being convicted about this, maybe there's a family member or friend. How about this? Go ahead. If there's someone in your life that you've thought about this morning that this applies to, that you might need to talk to, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise it high. The Lord already knows, okay? So I just want you to know that the Lord knows, all right? So all those hands that just raised, if there's someone in your life and you need to do that with, listen, there's a lot of hands. We want to be available to help you. It's not just that we're sending you out, that we're giving you a good kick in the pants now. All right, go do this. Listen, if there's someone you need to talk with and you know that the Lord wants you to talk and you want to find a way to do this in the right manner, you want to say the right things in the right way, just indicate on your Connect card, would like to speak with a pastor. We will call you tomorrow. I promise we'll call you tomorrow. Set up a time to meet where we can walk through the situation with you to help you know what to say and how to say it. To even help you understand, to know the best setting if you just need help with this. I know it can be intimidating, but we just don't want to all leave this place and you not feel equipped to do it. So if you need help in being equipped in how to come about and use our words in a right way to, for one of these relationships going on that 
that the Lord's convicted you of, I encourage you to just indicate on a connect card. Whatever the Lord's doing in your heart, whether it's somebody you need to talk with, whether it's somebody you need to forgive, whether it's someone that they don't even know but you've said harsh things against them, I just encourage you to make it right with the Lord this morning. Make it right with these other people sometime this week. Would you pray with me? God, to, to think that our words and our tongue, it's one of the ways how sin is most initiated in the church. Most sins are initiated by the tongue. So many sins run rampant in the church because we don't understand the power of the tongue. And what a thought that you have so chosen to use our tongue as the means of bringing people to salvation. That here in just a few moments, we're going to sing with our tongue and our words worship to you. That the tongue that's so warned about in Scripture, you have redeemed to where we can also speak truth into someone's life. We can speak life into their life. We can lead someone into a saving relationship through our words and the use of Scripture with our tongue. But also our tongue can bring destruction and damage. What an incredible thought that those two situations can come from the same part of our body. God, I pray for our church. We want to be a church that honors you with our words, that when someone is cutting someone else down or speaking negatively about somebody else, that you may give us wisdom and discernment on how to cut that off in a way that's not destructive to that person, but is in a way that's uplifting and convicting God, we're the brothers and sisters of each other. Help us to treat each other that way. Help us to speak to our spouses that way and our family members. God, I pray for those who, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you've convicted this morning, either is the area in their life that you want them to work on or someone to talk to, or there's a situation that they need to reconcile and, and make right, God, I pray that you may just give them wisdom and discernment. That you may equip them to know how to handle the situations as they leave this place this morning in a way that's going to glorify you. God, forgive us, forgive me for not always speaking my words in a way that would honor you. I know this will be a continual battle for us, but help us to keep watch on what we say, how we say it, I pray for our mouths that we may honor you in all that you've called us to do as brothers and sisters in Christ. We come this morning and we exalt you one more time in worship. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.